Though it appears Chicago has passed the Omicron peak, a University of Chicago doctor warns that businesses should be wary of bringing workers back to the office too soon amid still crowded hospitals. And I'll talk with Alex Nitkin, who is the Daily Line's editor and City Hall reporter about the Chicago Index, a survey conducted for Cranes and the Daily Line about issues facing Chicago, like perceptions of crime and elected leaders, COVID and more, the results of which this time pointed to notably little optimism among city residents who were polled. The approval of the mayor, which had been hovering sort of in the 20s in previous surveys, is now down to 15. And I think that a big part of the explanation for for these numbers is that Polko, the pollster, asked more questions this time around specifically about crime and found, I think, really the most staggering numbers in that category. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Monday, January 24th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined by Alex Nickin, who is the Daily Line's editor and City Hall reporter, here to talk about the Chicago Index. So the index is conducted for cranes in the Daily Line by Polco. It did not seem like there was a lot of optimism going around in Chicago right now. So let's start there and kind of give me an overview, if you would. No, you're absolutely right about that. This is now the fourth iteration of the Daily Line and Cranes Chicago Index poll that has gone out. And there's really been a trend of just negative feelings, especially about the mayor, about sort of the city as a whole, and and the numbers for that key right track, wrong track indicator have been underwater for a while. But man, this latest survey really just took it to a new level. A whopping 9% of Chicagoans feel that the city is headed on the right track. The approval of the mayor, which had been hovering sort of in the 20s in previous surveys, is now down to 15. And I think that a big part of the explanation for, for these numbers is that Polko, the pollster, asked more questions this time around specifically about crime and found, I think, really the most staggering numbers in that category where just 24% of people who were were, were asked, specifically people in, in Chicago, said that they felt the city was at least somewhat safe. 5% said very safe. That is compared to 76% called the city unsafe. And the one that really shocked me and that we really headlined our story about this was how safe do you feel in your own neighborhood? And when people were asked to rate the feeling of safety in their own neighborhood, whereas before it was like 45% in the previous survey said that they generally feel safe in their neighborhood, now that went down to 32. And I was talking to Michelle Kobayashi, who's the senior director of innovation who at Polko, who is very involved in this, who said that those numbers were very shocking and really stood out and also really made sense that, you know, if people don't feel safe, fundamentally, that is going to ripple out into every other aspect of how they view their community, they view their government. And so it it was really just some staggering findings there. It doesn't say anything specifically about crime in the city, but people's perceptions of crime, especially, is just um, people feel overwhelmed. 
that nine percent was really pretty stunning to see like that's not a lot of people, when you, you know, when you look at the numbers like that. And Greg Hines pointed out something in his column when he wrote about this, I thought was important to surface, that it's not exactly clear how much that's a shift in public perception, or if it's kind of the open nature of this survey of people kind of wanting to voice issues. So it might be people who are kind of drawn to take that survey in the first place. But nonetheless, the movement of the numbers does indicate a pretty big change in feelings. It's true. I mean, it's it's a fair point. This is a, a little bit different methodologically than most of the surveys that you see, which are just entirely probabilistic based, that they're just random numbers that are called. This is a, a mix of probability, which is 2,500 postcards were sent out at random in the city with non-probability, which is just cranes in the daily line sort of reaching out and trying to get as many people in as possible. But then it's important to also note that People were asked their sort of demographic information, what part of the city they live in, uh, um, whether they rent or own, which is a really critical indicator of other, you know, socioeconomic markers. And the results were were weighted to reflect proportions that all of those different characteristics have as a piece of the city. And as the Chicago Index has been doing each new iteration of the survey, it's been trying to build out a consistent group of people who are responding, but also there are a lot of new people who are responding. It's absolutely true that a lot of the people who respond are, are going to be the people who are interested in responding. And we did see that consistently that the people who respond score very highly in terms of political engagement. These are the people who are going out and voting and attending meetings. But also most of the people who responded in this survey had not responded to the previous survey. And the fact that we're getting new people responding each time. And we're still getting these consistently dismal numbers for especially confidence in the mayor and city government and crime and in CPS is another big one, is, if anything, a marker that further validates those numbers. Another thing that I thought was interesting was there was actually an uptick pretty much just in one area, and that was around sentiment around police. That's right. So, you know, one of the questions that's asked quarter after quarter in these surveys is rate your level of satisfaction in different kind of city public institutions, the, you know, Department of Public Health, CPS, Park District, Streets and Sanitation, and pretty much everything took somewhat of a hit last quarter, albeit pretty mildly. Interesting, the Department of Public Health went from 61% satisfaction to 55, maybe something relevant there with, you know, handling of the pandemic, but the police department's satisfaction went from uh, 34% to 43%. So not a huge jump, but it's something Greg Hines in his piece posited a theory that, you know, media coverage has sort of shifted away, especially since last year, from police misconduct and more just toward the horror of crime itself. And maybe that could be making people a little more sympathetic to police. One other important thing, though, that I also flagged is that in a separate question, people were asked to rate how effective they believe the police department is or whether they think it is effective at preventing crime. And that number actually remained very high. 19% said that they believe the police department is somewhat or very effective at preventing crime. Another 58% said that they are not at all effective at preventing violence. So it's really just an across the board loss of confidence in public institutions, I think is what I'm reading in the survey at large. What detail about the survey or what particular question kind of struck you as surprising or or wasn't exactly as you predicted it might be? Well, I think that as we're talking about the breadth of dissatisfaction, and I think that that 
stretched into areas that you would not necessarily think people uh, are were rating their own neighborhoods more poorly for things that, you know, you would not think have anything to do with crime. And maybe they don't. Things like access to fresh groceries, um, you know, access to transportation, people just sort of like in a more sour mood rating that more negatively. And also ratings of people's own aldermen and state legislatures and county commissioners went down. Um, usually the sort of trend is that you know, the old truism is that everyone disapproves of Congress and yet everyone by and large keeps like reelecting their own particular member of Congress. That same thing has sort of held true in these surveys where people are much more, you know, approving of their own aldermen than the city council overall. Um, in this survey, 44% approve of their own aldermen, 28% approve of their own Cook County board commissioner. And I think one of the, the sharpest drops and, and something that Greg and I both found really surprising is that the approval level of satisfaction in Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle has really plummeted from 50% in the second quarter to 41% now, 32% in this most recent survey. That's a little bit harder to draw any direct tie to. I mean, Tony Preckwinkle is just not really in the news as much as the mayor is. You know, one explanation could be just a fallout from this ongoing, you know, finger pointing war between the city and the county over who is responsible for the crime and, you know, the mayor and superintendent of police blaming uh, the county for what they call sort of leniency in the court system. And then Preckwinkle and, and, you know, Kim Fox and the rest denying that and sort of spinning that back on the police. But I thought that those drops in ratings for people's own representatives and, and especially in the county government, that's something that I was not expecting to see in there. Yeah, certainly. There's a lot of uh, a lot of really interesting data in there. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate you hopping in to talk it through today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Amy. Coming up, data reveals that Chicago is one of the country's most vulnerable housing markets. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Crane's Audio Studio is proud to introduce the podcast series Four Star Stories. It debuts with Bronzeville, reported in three chapters by Dennis Rodkin. Once known as the Black Metropolis, Bronzeville is being reshaped by a construction boom that is revitalizing thousands of vacant lots. Home prices have soared to levels that buyers and sellers, even less than a decade ago, could never have imagined. Can this be done in a new way without forcing out longtime residents? And can it be done with respect for what's been there, including a deep reservoir of black community and achievement? To create a new Bronzeville that welcomes others, but that is still very clearly the heart of this unique Midwestern black experience. The Bronzeville series from Crane's Audio Studio is part of Four Star Stories, Crane's ongoing effort to uncover Chicago's past, present, and future through the voices of the people who live and work here. Search Four Star Stories wherever you listen to podcasts to hear the full trailer and to subscribe. Chapter One debuts January 24th. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Now that it appears the Omicron surge is trending downward in Chicago and throughout Illinois, 
Business leaders might be eager to bring workers back to the office. But Dr. Emily Landon, the executive medical director of Infection Prevention and Control at University of Chicago Medicine, says it could still be too soon based on what she's seeing in the ICU every day. She said that though recent news on the Omicron surge possibly subsiding in Chicago is encouraging, employers should remain cautious if they want to prevent outbreaks at the workplace. She notes that even businesses that have required all workers to be vaccinated still need to be wary. Those with underlying conditions or compromised immune systems are more susceptible to being infected with COVID-19, Dr. Landon told Crane's healthcare reporter Catherine Davis, adding that because employers typically don't track common health issues, remaining vigilant until cases significantly drop is the way to go. Besides outbreaks in office settings, you know, being an issue, Dr. Landon said that it's, it, it's good to remain cautious for the time being just to help slow the spread of COVID in general and help alleviate overcrowding in hospitals. She described a really grim scene to me about how her and her coworkers are extremely overworked. They are getting sick and it's resulting in staff shortages, you know, at a time when there's more people in, in the ICU than usual. About 88% of Chicago's ICU beds were occupied on January 19th, and nearly 90% of ICU beds throughout Illinois were occupied on the same day. So the, the situation is still in a serious condition right now. While things are improving, you know, Dr. Landon says it's, it's important to remain cautious. Even if businesses do want to reopen their offices now, you know, it's very hard to keep them open. At least that's what Dr. Sumi Ishimpati, the co-founder and CEO of Cleared4, uh, told us in our reporting. Cleared4 is a Dallas-based health verification platform that helps business and schools sort of mitigate opening plans and do what's best at the time. But, you know, essentially he was saying that Clients are, are rethinking how strongly they push vaccination and boosters because of Omicron's more mild profile. A number of employers here in Chicago have announced that they're requiring not just vaccines, but also boosters. As Allstate preps to sell its longtime Northbrook campus, the insurance giant has purchased a Wacker Drive office building that could become its new HQ. According to sources familiar with the deal, who spoke with Crane's commercial real estate reporter Danny Ecker, this month the company bought the 10-story office building at 29 North Wacker. The price is still unclear, though sources familiar with the offering when the building went up for sale in September said that it was expected to trade for around $36 million. Danny Ecker is reporting the story in detail and has more. Ever since Allstate announced it was selling its Northbrook campus, there's been this question about where its headquarters would be moving forward. They have other downtown offices, but they signaled a big commitment to hybrid work and not needing a ton of new office space when they put their suburban property up for sale. Now they've purchased this building on Wacker, and it could be that they're planning to consolidate their downtown offices there. They just may want to own their home office like they do today, as opposed to being a tenant. We'll see how they ultimately use it, but it's certainly a good sign for the future of downtown when you have such a high-profile company making a sizable investment in the city. On the other hand, it also underscores the pain happening in the suburbs. If you hoped Allstate would have found some other newer but smaller suburban office property in which it would plant its flag, this is a sign that that is unlikely.
J.P. Morgan Chase raised CEO Jamie Dimon's total compensation 10% to $34.5 million for his work in 2021, the firm's most profitable year on record. As Bloomberg notes, the deal for Dimon, often the highest paid CEO in U.S. banking, includes $28 million of restricted stock tied to performance, an annual base salary of $1.5 million, and a $5 million cash bonus. That according to a regulatory filing from the bank. Diamond was paid $31.5 million per year for both 2020 and 2019. But as Bloomberg also notes, the move is the latest sign that banks are boosting pay for their most senior leaders as well after pressures came up last year for more junior workers in the banking and trading sector. Firms were forced to raise salaries for burned-out junior bankers and are paying higher bonuses after showing restraint in 2020. Both Diamond and his top deputy, Daniel Pinto, were awarded special bonuses last year to entice them to stay in their roles for what was described as a significant number of years. J.P. Morgan earned $48.3 billion last year, a 66% jump from 2021. Nearly $10 billion of that came from reserve releases after potentially soured loans predicted at the start of the pandemic never actually came to fruition. The firm also benefited from a historic deal boom, which helped fuel its best-ever year for investment banking fees. According to real estate data firm Adam Data Solutions, New York City and Chicago are home to some of the most vulnerable housing markets in the U.S., as the pandemic continues to threaten homeowners as well as the broader economy. Of the 50 most at-risk counties across the U.S., the two metro areas each accounted for eight, while there were seven throughout California. The Philly area and Delaware also had a cluster of vulnerable counties, according to the data. The markets represent areas where housing is unaffordable for average workers, sees higher levels of foreclosures, and larger portions of homeowners who are underwater on their mortgages. Home valuations have surged during the pandemic, and more recently, mortgage rates are on the rise as well. Of the 10 most at-risk counties, the data found that on average, households in those areas spend between 32 and 45 percent of their income on housing. The median home price in the top 10 areas ranged from just over $212,000 up to $480,000. Find more reporting about this story and many others at chicagobusiness.com. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Alex Nitkin. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to find your on-demand audio. And remember to rate and review Crane's Daily Gist because that's the best way for others to discover our episodes. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.